Am I making any sense? Episode of Am I Making Sense? Today's guest, a very entertaining guy, my buddy Ezra Paco. We're new friends. We're new friends, but uh, listen, man, I wanted to have you on the podcast because we we joined these Zoom comedy mics together, and I gotta say, uh, you always bring the energy, and you also bring really uh, fantastic, like fantastic premises and points of views that always kind of make me go, oh, that's right. Or you kind of like, oh, I'm on board with this guy. And I love it because it seems like it's a fresh take every time. So anyway, I just wanted to say, I really enjoy all of your sets. I'm happy you're doing stand-up comedy uh, on all these Zoom mics now. And yeah, it's just been fantastic knowing you. And so we got to get into it. We got so many things to talk about because you're not just a, a comic, you're also a musician, which is another thing that I'm very passionate about. So we'll get into that. But we were just talking before I hit record, we were talking about the difference between night people, morning people, um, and then I guess middle of the road people. And yeah. so you yourself are a night person and you say you have your best ideas at night. And this is what I'll say, I don't necessarily have my best ideas at night, but there's an energy about night, which is very addictive. And especially when you're out, right? Like if you're going out, like as a musician, when you're going out, you're gigging or whatever, you're not coming back until two or three in the uh, AM in the morning. As a comic, sometimes, you know, even during the week, I'd be hitting open mics, driving around, and I'm not getting home until one. And I like that feeling. Even though I'm a morning person, I, uh, I like the feeling of being out late. <laughs> but then I pay for it the next day. <laughs> There's something reflective about it. it it's yeah. um, I, I don't know if it's that maybe you look into something as simple as the sky and the infinite look of it. And you think, gosh, something as simple as looking off in stars, you go, anything can be anything. And we just maybe lived some moments and you're in this reflective state. I think our minds are in this kind of like a cooling down yeah. you, you always seem to look back no matter what it whether it be even a, sh a show or a, something comedic or yeah. even if you've seen a movie when you leave the movie you start going oh man i have all these ideas about the movie or even if you went on a date even and maybe yeah. you went home alone you're thinking about the date or yeah. even when you were younger we used to reflect on what we did at night with our friends like man that was so cool and you just it's all it's unexplainable but we all can relate to it i think so uh and the the air there's something about the air that feels so crisp that you don't get during the day yeah the sun, it kind of hits you yeah the sun it fucks up the air a little bit you know <laughs> i don't know it if it does I, I, I always quote this uh that adam sandler skit where they're like uh fuck the sun i hate it too and yeah. i know it's a i know it's a bit that he does but i always laugh because my wife and i sh she'll say uh this the sun's going down him is happy now like he gets like like right now it gets about seven o'clock and she'll yeah. see my mood just 
Yeah. She's like, hey, the sun's up. You're going to be happy now. Yeah. Yeah. So would you, would, like, as far as, um, like, uh, writing or the creative process, is there stuff going on in your head where you're thinking of, well, actually, let's, let me back up because I'm jumping ahead too much. Um, when did you start doing stand-up and what was the motivation for doing stand-up? I love the question. Well, for starters, um, I've always just loved comedy for maybe not always, but as I got into a teenager, you get that uh, age where you're starting to appreciate things a yeah. bit more for what they are. Started listening to uh, comedy skits and my, my first ushering into comedy wasn't initially like the, the Richard Pryors and all that, all this, it was more like watching sketch comedy. And we have the great American melodrama here. I know that you uh, said you have grand uh, family in Morro Bay and Atascadero. Yeah. So maybe Sinociano. I've always had this appreciation for performers and the comedic sense of it. And even back when I was younger, SNL and mad TV, there was, I'd appreciate what they did there. And then I kind of blossomed that into when I performed shows, I always liked kind of intermingling with the crowd. My, my dad raised me as a performer. He played in wow. bands. My dad like met Chuck Berry. He's been on stage wow. with him. He's, he's has, he has a very interesting past. And uh-huh. he always told me when people come to see you, uh-huh. they've given you time. My yeah. dad taught me appreciation. So if people take the time to see you, yeah. you give them a show. Yeah. And and I would always try to be entertaining and not just here's the next song. I always wanted to say something kind of funny. Yeah. Sometimes ba- sometimes my bands would kind of hang me for it like dude just shut up and so oh, I wait, started were you the front man or no? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was, well, I was you're the front, front man. man. You know what? Yeah, fuck that. You say if you're the front man, you get out there, you whatever's on your head, right? Yeah, I mean I always appreciate it like a like Anthony Kiedis from the Chili Peppers. I'm a huge yeah. Chili Pepper fan. Like yeah. so I would basically kind of start talking with crowds a little bit and in different settings, you can kind of get interactions with them. Yeah. In high school, I used to host events, uh, what they call noontime activities. I was in student government. So uh, every new, almost every lunch or every couple lunches, we'd, I was the DJ. We'd bring out sound equipment. I'd have to host games and stuff. And yeah. slowly I would just, I got really comfortable with the mic. I was always wanted to be on the mic. Like my mom said when I was little, if we went somewhere, they played a show, I'd try to go up on stage. And yeah. I basically started writing comedy because I would make notes. I always had a kind of skit mind frame. It kind of correlated with me getting into being a YouTuber because I do have a channel and I'm trying yes. to work with that. I once in a while would start jotting ideas. I It, it pretty much started with something as simple as uh, going right on to, well, my, my, my notes, I would just Okay. Jot down something I thought was interesting, but not yeah. a joke, like something right. I knew I could elaborate on. Yeah. A premise. Yeah. And that's what I find with you. When you come onto these Zoom mics, I feel like he has got a, a premise. And we not he probably doesn't even know which direction he wants to go with that premise. We don't know what direction he wants to go with the premise, but he's definitely yep. thinking about this thing and he's unpacking it and he's trying to look at different angles. And uh, so, yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that. So, okay, you were a front man of your band. So first off, how many bands have you been in? Was it a band that stayed together a long time or have you been in multiple bands? My most well-known band, uh, we were called the Barter System. I, I played in high school in a band that was kind of just like 
we just played covers. We did CCR. Okay. We did like a Steve Miller band. And, and then I, I would just kind of goof around with these guys. And then I eventually would start jamming with these guys. Um, <clears throat> Alan Cubby and Tony and uh, Alan and Cubby uh, were part of this music shop in town called Quelo's Academy of Music. Okay. They were musically trained and okay. Alan's older brother, he was in a band I admired. Um, and I just actually going, uh, I was trying to doing jujitsu training with these guys. And they're like, we also oh, wow. play music. You should jam with us. Yeah. And one night I jammed with these guys and we just clicked. They were doing this like kind of jazzy, funky, like, uh, like instead of just, <clears throat> instead of like rock and roll, just playing like power chords, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were doing this stuff that was like, okay. Like this real, like you could sing along with it. And yeah. so I started just, writing with them and we, we didn't go out of the state the furthest we went we played like a couple places in hollywood we played at the gig and uh or uh yeah called the gig and, and melrose we play off of melrose we played bb kings we played in a tascadero and we had an ep that sold a few thousand copies like just okay. printed and we just hand sold them to people and like nice shows we played and yeah but well <laughs> I'll just dive into this story because we'll get yeah. to it anyway. Is that yeah, yeah. that band was doing the funk rock stuff? One of our roadie friends, uh, Marshall, who did our sound, he started uh, playing with this other band that we played with called uh, Revenge I Seek. Now, Revenge okay. I Seek was a punk band that kind of did punk like yeah. alternative grunge. Uh, they had a female drummer. Our shows, we played with them, but we didn't get along a lot, but we just, we were both bands that pushed ourselves. Okay. However, they needed a bass player. I brought Marshall in and to usher Marshall into playing bass for him. I started hanging out with the female drummer. Oh. And hence my son's existence. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so while yeah. she's pregnant with him, these guys, the rest of the barter guys moved to San Diego to go okay. to school for different things. And I didn't move with them. So yeah. I stayed in revenge. I seek, which okay. became the second most known band. Ah, okay. So in, so, uh, which one of those, so were you writing lyrics for both bands and were you yes, running? I was always bands? the, okay. In barter system, I was the main lyrical provider and the okay. main singer in pillage or revenge. I seek slash pillage. I was, one of the singers, we had another singer who was okay. Kurt Cobainish. I okay. split the song, uh, the writing process with them. Okay. So, um, so I wrote some lyrics with them. So talk to me about the compare and contrast writing lyrics for a song versus writing premises or jokes for comedy. Because I try to do both too. I try to do both too. And um I don't know. I'm always curious about how other people approach it. If there's any similarity, um, some some people I've talked to who write lyrics uh, and and sing say that, and are also in comedy say that. Oh, lyrics are harder. Some people say jokes are harder. Where do you? Or I guess it's a different discipline. So what do you? If I had to say, and this is no knock on on comedy. Um, yeah. Uh, Comedic stuff is easier to write for the mere idea that you're not trying to, you can go anywhere with yes. it. I heard Chappelle say a few months ago on a special that comedy is the one thing that you can, everything you know can come into comedy. 
music isn't always that when you're writing music you almost have to decide from the beginning of a song process am i gonna write lyrics around a song like the music or am i gonna write the music around the lyrics and that's always an interesting approach because i think with the song it gives you a vibe of something to write you can start comedy a joke or a premise or an idea and you can just go this is the vibe it is but i can change the vibe a bit yeah vibe of it whereas with music the direction of the feel of songs and music writing it lends itself to a feeling where you go okay now i'm gonna write lyrics off of that feeling yeah i've written much more lyrics to song to music than i have music to lyrics yeah so it, I I would say it's easier with with comedy, but music sometimes when it happens, like if you said you're if you write you mentioned you write music that yeah. have you noticed it just comes to you like once something once you get on a roll you go with it. Well, I so I guess I should caveat. But I'm a really really bad musician. I used to have an opening um, joke with comedy where I would say I used to be a musician. But every time I picked up to play, uh, anytime I played in front of someone, they always laughed at me. But now I'm a stand-up comic and nobody's laughing anymore. <laughs> you know, so I, I was never, That's I've good. been, I, I, was, I was in bands and I jam with people. And to this day, if I, I'll jam with someone every few months, I'll get with someone and just jam. But I've always thought like, um, just trying to write, I've never really wrote songs that have, I guess what you would say coalesced nothing has ever come together. I've had concepts and then I'll write down concepts. And then and the way I would try and write them, because um, obviously I I'll never be able to um, I, well, okay. I shouldn't say that. That's, that's shitty thinking, but um, when it comes to writing the most powerful and impactful lyrics, I guess in the history of music, like, Bob Dylan's already done that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you're talking about these folk type stories of you're telling these long winding verses and like it's been done. And so for me, when I think lyric writing, I'm more on the, um, the Stooges side of thing where um, I was hearing, um, God, why did I just, why did I just draw a blank on the lead singers of the Stooges? Um, Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. Yeah. So I, I heard his philosophy in one of the documentaries about him and he said, he was talking about writing lyrics and he was trying to reduce things down as minimal as he could possibly do it to shrink things down. And if you listen to the lyrics of any of the early Stooges stuff, it's very, I don't know what the word is. Obviously I'm not a music critic or anything, but it's just, it's only what you need in there. And so when I think in lyrics for a song, I always think in um, very small uh not even sentences, just throw together a couple words of a concept I'm thinking about. And then how do I fit that to a melody? And I, I can never get melodies that feel right. Sure, I could throw it onto it like a pentatonic, right? And most yeah. every, you could throw any kind of lyrics to a pentatonic and you'll be like, okay, I kinda, I have something here, but I've never been able to figure out the melodies, the harmonies, Rhythmically, rhythmically, I can kind of, I think, put lyrics to things. So anyway, what I'm trying to get at is I'm still working on completing my first song. <laughs> and, and I'm in no rush because I look at it like uh, this is just one of those things like it's it's so relaxing and fun for me that I would never want to put the pressure 
of trying to put together. Well, it, it is difficult. Like I, I think um, when you're writing, one thing that I like to compare it to is uh, I, I like to think of it as like molding dough for something. Maybe you, you're playing with it and maybe you haven't decided, maybe you have a good recipe for dough. Maybe it could be a pizza. Maybe it could be cookies, but you don't know what it's going to become until you're starting to kind of lay it out. One thing that I had to kind of do that helped my music approach is when you're writing, maybe you think this has to fit into this. This has to fit four bars like this. I have to have the cadence right at this point in the bar. I have to. And sometimes once I got past that gap is when I went, this is work. Like, like I was willing to stretch word out, like put in a, ooh or, ah or like say less, say less. So it's more. Like, instead of like, because I used to get really wordy. I'd be like, I came from a hip hop approach. I used to write rap as much as I wrote rock. Oh, okay. In my band barter system, I wrote, especially in the 90s, a lot of bands were blowing up that were uh, rap and rock. So I was like, I'll sing to, I'll sing, and then I'll do a rap. Yeah. And so my, they contrasted my singing would just be like, there's a haze amidst the air, like kind of slow kind of dragged on and like like yeah. melted itself over the bar whereas my rap was my chance to be like I want to mm-hmm. taste you on my lips you move your hips all the way down to my lung you get me sprung yeah. off the bottom rung of you like that's when I can that 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 yeah so I know I'm going to get my chance to play uh the syllable game versus yeah. I'm just trying to make something musical yeah and I'd write both parts of it nice Nice. I'll so, have yeah. to send you a, a. I'll send you a some of my stuff so you can kind yeah. of. It's funny how contrasting it was because I was in one band that was like, "Hey, you know, we kind of sang like we were like if you took Maroon Five and Rage Against the Machine and Chili Peppers and mixed those, it was like musical but kind of heavy. Yeah. And then the other band was doing just like, like Nirvana, STP ish, like kind of Stooges type, just real rough cut, three, three chord so, punk. Yeah, someone yeah, someone compared us to like Reagan Youth and all this stuff. Okay. And nice. and then I ended up branching off uh, <laughs> this is funny too. After I I had a rough break with my son's mother. We're cool now, but Okay, good. To to get the lawyer to see him, I I was also writing hip hop, so I did like a diss track and I did like <laughs> I did a 5 CD like diss track tour. And I I put it on CDs and I took a boombox and the five CD uh, or five song CD and I went to slow and I just played it for people. I'd perform. I'm like, I'm trying to earn money for my lawyer. And oh. like, Chuck, like Chuck Liddell has a copy of my CD. Wow. Like, <laughs> the most random like and I earned enough or I almost earned enough. I earned like three twenty five and I gave it to the lawyer and he's like, this is enough. Like you're willing to do that for your kid. I'll take the case and. I think since oh, he was a great. musician, he kind of fell for me too. And I was like, Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get it, we'll get into that too, because that that sounds yeah. like a sticky, a sticky situation. We're oh both, yeah. We're both dads and you know, so less thus far, knock on wood. Um, <laughs> it's been kind of what I would categorize as smooth sailing. Um, that's good with, with me and the wife and and raising our kids, but I know kids makes makes things very tricky. Have you but have you started teaching your kid music already? And is he into it? He's not really into music. If okay. I was going to try to teach him anything that he was into without force feeding him, he'd probably be more into beat production and uh, MCs. Like he, 
we I took him to see Slipknot and we raised him on like I guess for one of his first shows of System of a Down. We oh, raised nice. him on on metal and and heavy rock. I mean, he was there at practices and stuff, but then on his own he started asking me about like, "Hey dad, uh how come there's nine people in the Wu-Tang Clan and started yeah. and, and he loved straight out of Compton and Oh, nice. So I, I he go, has really good taste. Yeah, he's really into He got to do a, for the radio station they let the kid they had a DJ for a day thing and they let him, they'd bring in kids and he did an hour and he picked like eclectic mix of like David Bowie and cake. And it was a rock station. And I was like so proud of everything he picked. Nice. I think, you know what? I think, um, yeah, most, not even, I don't even want to say the youth because obviously there's guys, you know, my age and your age who are really into beat production, but I think, um, that's the state of music right now. And that's probably the future of music. Like, you know, people have these push to where they're composing, uh, you know, songs pretty much all through pads or whatever, you know, the, the, the finger drumming and all that stuff. And there's a lot of cool stuff. I mean, I get lost in the YouTube stuff because I'm into synth, obviously into synth. Um, I get lost in all of that stuff, um, on YouTube and there's, there's a lot of talented people, but it's interesting and I wanted to get your take on this too. Um, so I think when we think of musicians, like our, our generation and all the way before, we always think of, I guess, that standard rock band configuration. And someone is an instrumentalist of whatever. You have a guitar. Like four to five members. Like- right. Drum, bass, guitar, too. Vocalist. Maybe they share the vocal work or they yes. are just vocalist. Yes. And so that there's that, I, I don't want to call it a classical view of music, but where I'm going traditional. with this, <laughs> traditional, yeah. Where, where I'm going with this uh, line of thinking is I think music is now honoring the producer. And when I say producer, I'm like not honoring, but focusing on the producer. Um, and when I say producer, maybe I can, I'm also meaning DJ, um, but the person who's, like you said, making the beats, um, putting it all together himself. And then maybe afterward, I'm thinking like Trent Reznor. He was the first guy, really. Like he was a guy who was a producer, yes. singer, performer, instrument, or instrumentalist. But then when it was time for him to hit the road, he had a band, he had Nine Inch Nails or whatever. But all that shit was made by him. But now I would say um, that's how it is now to the point where, you know, we got into this a little bit where we were talking pop music very briefly the other day. So my girls are almost all just this pop, whatever pop stuff. I'm not that familiar with it. But what I find interesting is um, songs will come up and I'll really like something in it. I'll like the bass line or there'll be um, a synth bass line and, or it just th- the melody, the harmony, whatever. It sounds really good. And I'll tell my kids, oh, this sounds good. And I'll look it up and I'm, none of the names are coming to my mind. And I'll, I'll say, oh, who is this? And in my head, because I'm thinking in the traditional sense, when I say, who is this? I'm thinking, who is the vocalist? But then they'll pull it up on whatever their Amazon or whatever they're listening it to. And it'll be a name of a guy. And I'll be like, this is weird. This is a female vocalist. And then I'll look up the guy's name and he's a producer or DJ or whatever they call him nowadays. And so he put vocals on his song, but it's on an album that is all just his music and one vocalist just did the vocals for one track or whatever. Like you Calvin Harris. Yeah, yes, like Calvin yes, Harris. That's a name. That's one of the names I thought of. And there's a couple guys him. like this 
that um, they're, it's just their name, but then you hear these, what I would categorize, and again, this is all made in the studio. I, you have to see a person live to know how, how good of a vocalist they are, but like yeah. these vocalists sound really good, like really angelic, really just nice. And then, but you, I don't even know who their name is because it's, it's a producer's name and they just got some vocalist to sing over it. So I guess that's where I'm going. It's like the producer now is the quote unquote rock star. Yeah, I kind of started seeing that trend um, slowly start to gel. I, I, fe- I feel like maybe the first, for lack of words, like pioneers of that style. Yeah. We think of producers like from the 80s going into 90s is when you took like, a, let's say you would do a, a Rick Rubin, a Russell, Sim- yes. Russell Simmons, and you'd be like, that producer, you think of the executive sense or like they're more engineer behind the scenes, but they have this ear for the talent. Yes. And then slowly into the nineties, I, I actually, um, <clears throat> this is debatable. I, I'll, I'll credit, like, let's say I'll go Dr. Dre. Like Dr. Uh, Dre was somebody who fan. came in and yeah. they're like, all right, that's a Dre beat. Like they have yes. this signature sound, uh, Dr. Dre, uh, Timbaland, early yep. Kanye West, Ariza, all these guys would yeah. come in and they're like, all right, this is, you knew they had a style and there's a little bit of a realization even in the early to mid nineties where they're thinking in Jermaine Dupree, if yep. you want to have a certain sound or a style, let these guys lay all the groundwork yes. and you just come in and do the beat. I mean, Jermaine Dupree discovered the brat. He did crisscross even yeah. like all these people he did. I forgot and about that. Yeah. yeah people forget like, yeah. cause he's on the first track and the, the producers started becoming so much more prominent to where yeah. now like all the DJ Khaled, all they're putting their name on it. Um, yeah. If, like Pharrell wrote one of the one of the verses for Rump Shaker, even. Yep, that's like, right. So all these people, the the producers slowly became much more involved, and then I think technology and music kind of melded together, started becoming yeah. this. Because uh, that's when you get like like Trent Reznor's one of the like a pioneer of. Yeah. Hey, he did the real hard work when he, yeah. it wasn't as easy to do that. Yeah. Because now everybody's coming out and. Like you said, there's a certain sound and they all will go to, oh, I want that sound. I'll go to that producer. Yeah. So producers are just as prominent and not as much as in rock because rock are, they create their stuff. Yes. So you can tell like Rick Rubin or Terry Date or like a Gigi Garth. You could tell these guys were the ones who were behind the, oh, like Beastie Boys is a real good example of that did both they had producers but they also did it themselves yeah yeah no the guy who passed uh who was the one who passed away um of the beastie boys yeah adam yauk yeah he was supposedly he was a real technician in the studio yeah like there's um, always there's always one like jimmy page did zeppelin's a lot of their engineer uh, yeah he uh, even jimmy hendrix like the things that jimmy hendrix is known for people forget to mention he he was yes. one of the pioneers of like tape delay effects yes. and uh developing some of the first effects pedals and things like that like there's yeah. a lot of what the behind the scenes stuff is so important you can have trash yeah. musicians if you have amazing producers and engi- engineers like my hat goes off to engineers yeah yeah the, uh, the unsung heroes yeah um, yeah that's true we all forget when um when Jimi Hendrix was at the Monterey Festival, 
or whatever mm-hmm. that was called. The one where the he mon- really broke out in the States because the he Monterey lit- pop pop. There we go. Monterey pop. Cause he lit his guitar. Pop. He may have had two pedals, mm-hmm. right? Maybe. And then now guitars, I don't know what your thing is on pedals. I mean, I don't really care one way or the other because like, I have a little line six, eight check stomp. And so like, that's probably all I'll ever need, but I don't know if you use a lot of pedals, but what I'm saying is now shaping your tone is guitarists put as much emphasis on that as they do their technical chops. Right. Well, well, you're, you're, that, that's, I appreciate that you said that. Cause the thing about your tone is you listen to like, I was just having this conversation the other day that when people talk about, uh, like Carlos Santana or like, like, Oh, Santana, like, Oh, he's not the singer, but you hear that fat tone. You yeah. hear that, that Paul Reed Smith through the Mesa, you hear yeah. just tones or I was geeking out uh, the other day at a restaurant up in uh, Morro Bay with my wife. Cause uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan came on and I thought it took me a second. Cause I think it, it wasn't his, it wasn't Lenny. It was like, he uses this red strat also. I was like, yeah. that's real bitey. That's not Lenny. Ooh, and I was like, you could hear Stevie. it. Yeah. And I, I can like pick it out and stuff. And so like, I, I, I kind of noted that. And my wife was like, you're so funny. Cause you spot that out. And like, yeah. <laughs> I, I use a few pedals. I use this. Oh, you can see, I use this. Uh, oh, there uh, you go. Tube screamer. Yeah. The, this one has a mod to it. Like, okay. People, I, I appreciate like all the guitar pass. So like this orange guitar here, my Washburn Force Two. Oh, that's beautiful. I always wanted to. Uh, I appreciated the people like Lucille, uh, the people who named their guitars after, yeah, yeah. like had a name. And so I was like, I always wanted to have that signature. And I was working on it to where even people I run into today, are like you still got that orange guitar. Like yeah. I started a, cause it has a tone. It, it's rich, but it's versatile. And uh-huh. there, there's an appreciation to it. I, I yeah. can tell that you appreciate that appreciation. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, it's crazy. And I'm okay. I, I like, I like pedals. There's a fine, everything's how you use it. Like I was watching okay. a thing about the Mars Volta. I was thinking about the Mars Volta. Cause I listened to that song by, uh, that war by idols. Oh, I, okay. I, I saw that yeah. you pointed out yeah. and I was like, this reminds me of Mars Volta and at the drive-in and in one of his videos, he's like, I ditched I all love my at pedals. The drive-in. I love at the drive-in. Yeah. We, oh, I seen them recently. Our, our okay. band used to, our band used to cover one arm scissor. Oh, nice. <laughs> So like that was I really appreciated like um, uh, Omar and like I was like dude like he got into he basically stripped down his pedal board and just was like now I just use the delay and just a few and he got so much done with even like Tom Morello he doesn't use a ton of effects he only uses like five or six oh yeah that's what he wasn't that his advice or something he he went to teach a master class I think I didn't yeah, buy the master class. But um, someone said that they had watched it and he said that, you know, you should spend, once you spend, I don't know, he gave some recommendation. Um, like, let's say you spend a year trying to find how to shape your signal, so to speak, with the pedals. He said, yeah. once you've got it, never touch it again and go back to just the creative part of um, playing guitar. Yeah, because it really is a it really is a voice. Like that's the thing yeah. is I've heard people say things like, no matter what, your your fingers are ma- matters just as much because 
I, I like to think of music as like cooking or chemistry. Like okay. everybody is a specific recipe that equals how that tastes. Okay. Maybe you'll have a similar taste in other sounds, but I'll always taste the way I do, quote unquote. Okay. Because of my fingers and this specific guitar right. and the way I play it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, so going back to Idols, so have you listened to the whole new album of theirs? Or I didn't like- hear all of it yet because I was okay. listening to it. I think I, I got I got so many things like sidetracked me, and then I was oh yeah, uh, I'm the same way. I, I listened to the first uh, War, and then there was like another song it went into, yeah. and then I think I think my phone rang that day, and then I was like my son, and so I. I didn't get to go back to listening to it and I got sidetracked, but I want to sit and have a good listen to it. I want to hear it in my car. No one bug me. I want to really absorb it. Yeah, no, it was a good album, but I think I still like their um, prior album, Joy as an Act of Resistance. So I don't know if you've listened to that album, but... that's going to be the next group that I make sure to devote some time. And okay. I, I, cause I love, I love hearing new stuff. What was funny is it set me off of a, the tangent it set me on because yeah. it reminded me of the Mars Volta. And then my mind okay. went into uh concept albums. I started thinking about my uh, favorite concept albums. And so what are some of your recommendations? Well, I think I'll tell anybody all day the. I think the two best concept albums, you're supposed to say Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, but really, okay. I think Mars Volta's Deloused in the Comatorium right, is. Okay. Yeah, Mars, um, Volta. Mars Volta. It's got a picture of a gold head on it uh, as you start to write Deloused. Okay. Um, uh, it's yeah. about like. It's about somebody. It's not even. I don't even fully grasp the concept, but it's that somebody has been put in like a coma, and during the coma, all the things that are happening. Wow, that's dark. And, and then my other favorite concept album is a. It's a hip hop one. Deltron. Del. Deltron Thirty Thirty by okay. Del the Funky Homo Sapien from Hieroglyphics. Yep. It's basically. He has a song called Virus, and more people listening to it now because of coronavirus, but it's about Uh, all these things that happen in the future. He's basically rapping as if he was in the future, what happened in the past. And concept albums are a really, really hard thing to execute. And a lot of people don't. I know Pink Floyd has done it, and I, I can't even fully name all my other. I mean, there's not even that many considering. It's a challenge. It's hard to write a song, let alone a concept album that like gels into one yeah. entity. Yeah, I guess the only um I'm trying to think through too of any that I would know. And I, I guess I am also a victim of even though I'm a little bit older than you, and I remember the cassette tapes. And before that, I remember obviously the records. And I think my parents even had reel to reel at one point. Really? Yeah. I think I remember that as a kid. And they definitely had eight track. I remember eight track also, but I didn't have a lot of, I didn't spend a lot of time um, cover to cover with albums. 
it, it's though, hard. It's hard to. I mean, yeah. For and th- there's so many reasons that do it. Something as simple as you hear a song, yeah, and you just like it, and you just kind of want to keep hearing it. Yes. And when I was younger, there's always the whole uh, like my dad would buy cassettes from Long's Drugs. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be like like CCR would, would put out these compilations, uh, and it yeah. wasn't their albums, but right. I would go, "Ooh, what album is this from?" And then when I got older, I was like, "Oh, Cosmos Factory was the album," or green river was the album or i've done my country was i've done so much backtracking by starting with compilation uh oh yeah and then going back and then especially the stuff that was around before my time i would my parents would just have stuff on the radio or, or just playing and it was something that you know always stuck with me and then i got older and went back what was that song that you sing and listen to that and then i go oh then i got to get into the album and then i'll listen to the album but i'm one of these guys like there's always, you just described how you listened to a couple songs and then had to go do some. There's always something that I'm standing up, walking somewhere else, or, you know, if I have my earbuds, I need to talk with someone or headphones or whatever. I just never get that time. And then usually the only times I have gone cover to cover um, with albums is when I'm just really stoned with friends when I was younger. And yeah, I don't really, much. I don't remember what I was listening to all the time. Like stuff would just come on, like, oh, are we listening to Fish? Are we listening to Led Zeppelin? Or like, what are we listening to? The Grateful Dead. But you're so stoned, you just don't really even. It's it almost becomes that um, second vibration, that second geometry. Well, one that of the you're things that into. music does is, uh, since music creates an environment, you immediately start rolling with it like you just yeah. start it, it'll start a conversation um like some of my favorite albums but one of the all-time albums for me was like like sublime is 40 ounces to freedom okay you'd put that on and it started out and you just knew it was going to be a party and we didn't sit and listen to it you just threw it on and you started cracking open caguamas or tecates and <clears throat> you yeah. just start packing it and before you know it and like Dr. Dre's Cron 2001, that was one that we partied to. And you just, yeah. it, it's, it is hard to sit and listen to it. Cause I mean, there's, it doesn't have the visual and, and that doesn't take away from, it, but it's just that music is such a, it's a primary focus, but it's also a, I listen to music while I blank. Yeah. Usually there's other things that go with it. And, and I think, you know, now that we've been in shelter in place for so long and I've been trying to go back and just revisit music and kind of do deep, be more disciplined about how I approach it. I think that might be one of the reasons why I've always struggled with getting proficient in music is I never do that, or not never, but I, I wasn't sitting down with intent when I listened to music to try and pick apart, oh, what's the drum doing here? What's the bass doing here? I would listen to it kind of as a whole. And like, just like you said, it became whatever I was doing at the moment. Um, But I wasn't purposefully listening to songs to try and figure out how they worked, so to speak. Yeah, like right now with the shelter in place, since there's less reason to drive places, the ca- the car is my favorite way to listen to albums. Ah. Like when I would, uh, when I was driving for Uber, <clears throat> I knew that if I was going to slow, I could listen to a whole album for a yeah. certain moment. And then when I got my people in the car, I knew I wasn't going to have, I'd have to break up what I was listening to because I play what the people want and then yeah so you you almost have to create time and music is so music is so much of a hey have you heard this you should check out this yeah it's always a fight with 
I want to hear what I loved, not because I'm uh, stuck, but I loved something so much. I just want to hear it again. Yeah. Versus, hey, I remember uh, <clears throat> I told Matthew I was going to listen to Idols or I told so-and-so I was going to listen to this. And yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't have time to hear it all. I uh-huh. always make this joke and say, man, I'm going to die before I heard everything I should have heard. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm that way. You mentioned Beatles at one point. God, I have I listened to every Beatles album, but I have... Um, I have a little bit of a complex because I am a music lover and, and I have no, I, I don't approach music with any dogma, which is why sometimes I become a shit disturber when I hear people complaining about whatever the state of music or whatever, then I'll just throw something random out because I, I definitely have a preference to music, right? Like probably if you, you know, I've listened to a lot of idols lately. I've been listening to this band, um, are you familiar with King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard? No, I'm not. I saw okay. them on your list, though. I haven't heard much of them, honestly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I have been going down that rabbit hole lately, and they're really weird. They're out there. They're doing, like, um, microtonal guitars and basses, really? which I don't know if you're familiar with. And they, they do, like, these polyrhythmic – they have two drummers – Microtonal, oh. that's the guitar that has like the little the fretboard kind little of uh, yeah, yeah, like sectioned off. Oh, oh, I was always wondering who messed around with those. Yeah, so these guys are an Australian band and they're they're out there, man. But um, I, I think a lot of those notes, those microtonals, because we're semitonal from most Western music, yeah, it's kind of a Middle Eastern sound or uh, maybe a even Indian type sound. Um, and they also do uh, the polyrhythmic where they have two drummers and like the bass kick will be syncopated and sometimes they'll be the same on the snare. And, but then they start going into their own time signature. It's weird. Like it's almost stuff where you don't have to be stoned and you still end up in a hypnotic state when you listen to. But anyway, where I'm going with this is I, I try not to be dogmatic about music and I listen to everything. But for some reason, other than... Um, the White Album, and um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart. I, I, I could never get into Beatles to this day. I'll well, go back they, and listen to stuff and I'll just say, I don't. And I think it's because, here's where I think the problem is. I think so many people have come and either been influenced by them and not copied them because no one sounds like the Beatles. The Beatles are the no. Beatles. But everyone puts them down as an influence that I think I've been influenced by so many other people who've been influenced them. It's almost like there's a proxy between me and the Beatles. Like they covered the ground. So you, almost like they're influenced by them. So you don't need to be since they already are. Exactly. That's it. And so when I listen to, especially like their first two or three albums, I listen to and I go, this just, you said Chuck Berry at the top. I go, this just sounds like late fifties rock and roll. Like I'll take Chuck Berry over this any day or even uh, uh, um, Richie Valens or um, who's the other guy, the, uh, the glasses, Buddy, Buddy Holly, Buddy Holly. Like I'll take that. But the, I know those are the guys predate the Beatles a little bit. But they'll um, claim they'll label them as influences. Still. Correct. Like Correct. the Beatles said, oh, like um, like maybe for me, I don't, you know, it's kind of a reverse. I don't listen to as much Bob Dylan because yeah. I heard how they influenced like uh, Nowhere Man and uh, 
um, you got to hide your love away. Things by the Beatles. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. well, I'll just listen to how they did it. And ah. like, Iron, like Iron Maiden's a band that I I should be listening to more, and I don't mainly I because I listen to bands Iron Maiden has influenced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, funny with the Beatles is like there's also this like the Beatles are in this real special category, and I, I super love the Beatles, and I've listened to a ton of them, but I know that sometimes the feeling. The, the associative feeling of the bands give off is enough to deter people. Yeah. I know people, other bandmates of mine that were, didn't like the Beatles because it looked for lack of words, kind of, I, I, now that I'm kind of learning the word from you, uh, somewhat dogmatic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like almost like a, well, the Beatles are like, cause I think there's people who say, Oh, you like the Beatles. Well, now that puts you in a certain category. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And that's not necessarily true, but I, yeah. I understand why people say that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, they say, Oh, you're a Beatles guy. You're an Elvis guy. Like yeah. I'm kind of both. Like, right, I like, right, right. I appreciate them both, but the Beatles have done that. And I think because the Beatles are because no one sounds like them. Yeah. It is hard to hear their influence in other bands. So yeah. maybe there's a lot of people who feel what would I gain from listening to the Beatles at this point? Just because I understand that doesn't mean I believe that, but I super understand as I got older, I really had to bring myself into understanding people's approaches Okay. I didn't have to buy into it, but it meant a lot to me that I understood so as not to be offended or so as not yeah. to go, oh, well, I hate people now. Like, no, I understand where you're coming from now. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's my, we, I think we have a similar outlook on the world. Like I'm not, I, you know, I, I was not born to judge anyone. I, I was just born, some people I'm going to vibe with and our chemistries are going to, be cool together and other people I'm not, but I'm not judging anyone. And if you have some ideas yeah. or opinions, like wh whatever, it, it's all good, man. Live and let live. Right. Um, so I want to get to a couple other things because I know you also have um, on the comedy shows, you break out your superhero stuff. And I want to get a little bit into pick your brain about sci-fi superhero and other stuff. But before Yay. we do that, um, comedy, who was the funniest person in your life that you knew? Um, well, me. No, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, um, it was really... Um, like, where do you think you're... If I, like, like family-wise... Or friends or it, whatever. It's, there, there's... Um, it's not really a one person. It's this mix of... Uh, it's family. It was the vibe that occurred when family got together, not just uh, my mom and dad, but yeah. if we went to my grandma's and all my aunts and uncles were there seeing the way my, my mom came from a big ass family. She, okay. uh, they're good Irish Catholics. So they cranked okay. out 13 kids. <laughs> so there'd be a bunch of people at the house and I'd kind of see how like, like my aunt Robin and my aunt Lori and my, my uncle David, how they'd all just laugh and make fun of things. Yeah, yeah. I would hear that. And just the way that that laughter was, or my, my dad didn't see his family as much, but when my aunts would come down to, and my aunt, my auntie Linda, and they were like really kind of not raunchy, but definitely didn't have clean humor. Yeah, yeah. I'd hear how my dad would kind of interact with them, how yeah. there'd be a louder person in the room versus someone more subdued, more quiet. Yeah. And I would basically kind of just 
appreciate hey these guys are funny and and i yeah. thought i liked the interaction so yeah. there's kind of an overall vibe that was created it'd be them and then after that probably just me it, it's interactions more than just just single people there wasn't okay. any yeah yeah yeah. but i appreciate maybe my uncle david probably is one of my favorite funny people and in my mom's family has your uh sense of humor ever gotten you in trouble either with your family or school or band? In, or- insanely, constantly, like constantly. Okay. By the time I was in like fourth grade, my teachers knew who I was and they're like, you're Ezra Paco, huh? And like, <laughs> I would try super hard. I, I was always, a. my mom will tell me, you know, you wanted to be such an entertainer. And when I saw my kid getting kicked out of classes for the same thing, it was... <laughs> I constantly would, when I was little, I had just this affinity for my, so my dad worked for the government. He'd bring home these jokes, like a paper and it'd have like one joke. That's how I did the, the candy bar joke. I remembered it when I was little and all these kind of funny things I wasn't supposed to get a hold of, but when no one was looking, I'd read these raunchy jokes. Wait, how did he get that? But he worked for the government, but what does, how did he get the jokes from the government? Like what's that? <laughs> well, what it was is they would have a, Someone would have like a funny paper. One of a coworkers would bring oh, it in. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. they'd have like, and they'd Xerox it. Yeah. And they would t- get, hey, take a copy of this home, Paco. And he'd bring it home. And like the, like this picture that says, not all supervisors are assholes. And it ends up being a picture of a guy with a dick for a nose and balls <laughs> for a chin. And that's the best. Yeah. Like stabs yeah. at the government or that, yeah. that picture of the two cartoon, uh, the two cartoon people where they're naked and uh-huh. the kids are standing on each other. Well, we took our clothes off and got on top of each other when does it start to feel good uh, i don't know but i have a headache and he'd bring home jokes like that and uh, so i started picking up on those and i always was into i could read really well and i was yeah. considered really intelligent okay but instead of wanting to i didn't like smart kids because they seemed okay. sad smart kids all the genius kids they seem to be miserable so i always wanted to be a troublemaker because they seem to have the most fun yeah and they'd be like well you have straight a's and you're in detention you're the only one that's like that yeah oh so you were you were still killing it with your grades and getting into trouble yeah i was in like my favorite thing to do is piss off the smart kids i'd be in like uh um gate which was like the the uh for the really smart kids like i'd okay. be they'd take me out of class with like seven other kids that were really wow. smart and we'd have like advanced i was always in advanced placement classes and holy shit all, so all the smart kids hated me because they're like dude he's obnoxious and then yeah. all the smart all the the troublemakers were like well he's a brainiac like so it took me years to find a way to fit in with people so you didn't have a home through your uh developmental years i had a couple of friends that like understood like he's just cool like i i remember some of my kids would use me as their means for like learning about things like hey what's this and i i knew a bunch of stuff and i wasn't gifted athletically and yeah i i didn't grow up like super rich i mean i had collections and stuff but yeah my dad worked really hard for the government and yeah i basically always found ways to laugh at stuff and music was always there like i didn't have any music friends until seventh grade so i just felt like i was alone in music when did you first start playing an instrument i started playing guitar when i was like seven Oh, I, I was a, I was a, in a, 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 I was grew up Catholic and my yep. mom was like, Hey, uh, 
I know you don't want to do the catechism thing, but if you can, uh, or first communion, first but communion if, yeah, you, yeah. if you, if you pass communion and you're not a pain in the ass about it, uh. we'll buy you a guitar. So I passed communion and they bought me a little guitar from Toys R Us and I started, uh. started rocking out and playing along with stuff. And, uh, and your dad could help you because he was a musician too. Yeah, and I was funny as he was kind of a dick about it uh, because oh. we both learned by ear. But yeah. the thing he was a dick about was like back then we didn't have technology. So if he didn't know how to play something, uh-huh. he'd kind of be upset about it. And we had different music approaches because he played country, western, rock. Okay. He like finger picked. He was into George Jones and things like that. Yeah. And he ra- he raised me on CCR, which to this day, CCR is my, my all time favorite band, yeah, yeah. all time ever. Yeah, yeah. But then in the 90s, Guns N' Roses, Metallica were blowing yeah. up and I wanted to rock so bad and I didn't know how to palm mutant. I wanted to be loud. And my dad yeah. would say, distortion is just to cover up bad guitar playing and drop tuning is just for people who don't know how to play chords. And all I wanted uh, to do is prove that wrong. And yeah, so I started rocking out on my own and he, he passed away when I was a freshman in high school. Oh, so I'm I sorry, got man. a I got a chance to like take what I learned from him and run with it. Like here's what he was right about and here's what he was wrong about. And, right. and then back, back in the nineties was a real good experimental time for guitar. So yeah, yeah. That's where I kind of came from m- musically. I mean, he played country rock. He, he was a working man's musician, worked five days a week for the, uh, he was a carpenter. Okay. Uh, tw- 25 years at Vandenberg Air Force Base. Uh, oh, nice. And he busted his ass every day and he looked forward to playing his shows. Uh, he, he's played, as I got older, my mom would tell me all these stories. Your dad used to play for like, like they would play shows out at like the Elks Lodge and American Legion and they'd get paid hundreds of dollars for all these shows. And Oh, man. He was a warrior poet. Yeah, pretty much. Funny thing is he wrote... He wrote music, but yeah. he couldn't write lyrics. My mom wrote lyrics and couldn't write music. So I got wow. to be the one to bring both worlds together. That's awesome. Yeah, I love stories about that. Like maybe, I don't know what it is. Maybe, you know, I'm part, I'm part Irish too. And maybe it's something in us, but we, I, there's something about suffering and for your laboring for your love and suffering in obscurity. I love I love when you touch on the Catholic stuff because I just laugh my ass off so much because I'm like, oh, dude, when those are things you only understand being a Catholic, having to yeah. just the church, like yeah, this yeah. is so boring and everyone's so judgmental, and I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, like the day my dad died, the next day, uh, the next Sunday after, my mom's like, we don't got to go to church no more, and I was like, yay, like something <laughs> positive from it. Well, you know what, my my parent to my parents' credit, they're still very, um, I guess what you would call, um, they're practicing Catholics and they they take it serious. But to their credit, um, I don't know how it was where you went to church, but we did the when we were. It was like out of our control with first communion and first confession and yeah. stuff like like you had to go. And I think that was all done and over with by first grade. But we didn't have to do confirmation until we were older. I want to say 15 or 16. Yeah, there was a gap because I was, uh, I had done my communion when I was, because that's when I got my guitar and I was eight. And uh, yeah. And then um, my, when my dad died and I was 15, that's, okay. I was in the middle of doing my, uh, my, my there we go. catechism, the catechism. CCD, you were so, probably in CCD getting ready yeah, for it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but then I, uh, the funny thing is that I never, 
I know when you're young, you're supposed to do confession. And I didn't do confession because I think my mom was always like, why tell your sins to another sinner? So that was one of her big things. She's she's like, I'm aggressive. Yeah. She was never like, I'm not going to make you go to, she, she, she always, anytime she could kind of intervene with, Hey, these are things I don't agree with. She would like, they weren't going to, they didn't baptize me when I was born. Yeah, And so they're going to baptize me at seven and they're like, oh, the church was going to say, well, we can't do it because uh, you were supposed to baptize him. And my mom tells him, God will get you. Ah. They're like, all right, we'll baptize him. And <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So to my parents credit, they basically said, look, confirmation that this is it. You either want to be Catholic or you don't. If you don't go through with it, we're not going to make you go to church. And That's so I was awesome. like, I'm not doing it. And I, I think the only times I've been to masses is um, funerals or weddings, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, it's not that I'm, again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful of the church or people who are down with the church. It's like, everyone has whatever I say, look, life is tough, man. Whatever gets you through the day. Um, as long as you're not hurting anyone else. Um, yeah, I think it. church and religion, I, my my main kind of opinion with it is that it's a man-made thing based off of what God would want, what a God would want. And at some point yeah. in different religious settings, I was always, I was taught more than once that uh, as man, we're not supposed to think we're God. We're not supposed to act like we're God. And I was always thinking, well, then why are we trying to fully interpret what he or she would want if yeah. we're flawed at the approach? Yeah. 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 I think it's, uh, I mean, there's obviously you could probably do a whole podcast about it. There's, there's good and bad to it, but I think, uh, as far as, I mean, just as far as the Catholic church goes, there's, it's just an institution and all institutions to some extent are just there to continue to be an institution. (laughs) Not really. They're businesses. It's a business, man. I went to, so one thing I did do as an adult, me and the wife years ago took a trip to Italy. And so we go, well, we got to check out Vatican City when we're in Rome. And we went in there. And I always heard from everyone. It didn't matter who it was, Catholic, non-Catholic, agnostic, whatever, atheist, people who go to um, the like Sistine Chapel and all these just very famous places known for the art and the, the history and whatnot. And I just remember walking through, especially the Sistine Chapel in the that main area and just going, Man, this took a, a fuck ton of money. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the and got, suffering the, and oh, like dude. so much. <laughs> uh, that's all I could think about was just like how many indigenous people <laughs> like, were we stripped. need the labor. Yeah, we're either we're either enslaved or stripped of it to make something like this happen. And so I couldn't I couldn't feel good about I don't know, maybe I'm being too much of a like a hippie kind of SJW type, but I couldn't help but feel like this is too much. This is well, like, it's, a, it's impressive. Like, cause we know what it takes to make simple buildings here. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. when something is that beautiful and yeah. built in the name of God, like the things that people do in the name of God, um, yes. I, I, I like to tell people, uh, if you want to know what I think about uh, religion, uh, Basically, it, t- take the movie Dogma, and that's yes. almost right about just yeah. about in that ballpark. That was a great flick. It, oh, man. oh, I like that. Says one. it all. Um, so, speaking of flicks, I wanted to ask you about. So, you're into the superhero stuff. Yeah, yeah. You have the collectibles. Are you also into Star Wars stuff or no? 
I love Star Wars. Like okay. I, however, I didn't see Solo, but I do love okay. Star Wars. Like, and I actually, I, I know I'm kind of jumping on the, oh, you're you're just being trendy, but I think the Mandalorian is might be the best Star Dude. Wars related stuff oh my that's ever been created. So when I skip, all right, mind meld, mind meld, <laughs> to pull from yeah. Star Trek. We just had a mind meld because I said I would see you do those things, and I go when I have Ezra on the podcast, I, I have to get his take if he's seen it on Mandalorian. So, oh, okay. Yeah, twice. So let me give, you've watched it through twice. Okay, great. So I'll go ahead and give you my pedigree, if you will. We'll geek out right now. So being born in 75 and raised through the 80s, I can never impress upon anyone how central New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi were to um, just kid boys, young boys from, you know, the late seventies up through whenever, uh, return of the Jedi came out. I mean, it was, it was everything, right? Those were yeah. the movies. Each one of those movies I saw in theaters probably. Cause you know, obviously I, I re- we had VHS. It came out, I, I want to say early to mid eighties, but even with VHS, we would still go to the movie theaters like empire strikes back. I don't know how many times I saw it in the theater return of the Jedi. I saw it multiple times in the theater, but anyway, um, so like everyone throughout my life, I would explain like Star Wars was huge. But then when one, two and three came out, I felt very, um, I didn't know if I was even a Star Wars fan anymore. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. There. Oh, uh, and it's, it's weird. And you don't want to feel that way because you don't. you're like, I waited for that 30 years. Yes. And that's, that's exactly we, right. Yeah, and you give me Jar Jar Binks. What the? <laughs> yeah, and we what? got that. I was yeah. like, "Are you kidding me? You could have yeah, yeah. went anywhere with it." Yes, and it was. It how was, bad the CGI looked uh, dude. when good CGI already. Even like Dracula, Dead well, and loving it looked better. No, but you know what? It's not even about the CGI, and th- this is no. where, to their credit, this is where things went right. Is they went back to the puppets. The whole thing with Star Wars, in whenever um, I forget the names of one, two, and three, but. Whenever one came out, we would have been, I think Jim Henson was still alive. Mm-hmm. How happy would it have been for him to do the puppetry for that one? I don't care. I mean, I'm a guy, I'll still go back and watch Dark Crystal and I'll be like, this fucking holds up. Yeah. Puppets, right? Um, and then obviously in the newer ones, they mixed puppetry, uh, puppeteering with um, computer graphics. But so anyway, so then, to, to kind of close the loop. So then I was like, I don't even know if I'm a Star Wars fan. And then the new stuff started coming out. Some of it hit, some of it missed. But I think there was, um, uh, it kind of sucked me back in. And then when this Disney Plus released, like I didn't even think I was gonna get Disney Plus, but there were a couple movies that um, my kids um, had wanted to watch. And then I'm a, I'm a Star Wars guy. And I told my, my wife, I said, well, the kids have to watch all the Star Wars movies. Like, like I love music, but I won't force my kids to get into music. Um, yeah. I I loved, you know, dirt biking, motorcycles, but I won't force my kids to get in. But one thing in this family, those kids have to do, is they have to watch the Star Wars movies, right? And so we started watching them. And of course, like, to, I so I watched one, two, and three again. And I to this day, I think like, I, I'll go so far as to say the second Star Wars possibly could be the worst movie ever made in the history of cinema. 
the that's Clone how Wars. far I'll go. Uh, is it the Clone Wars? Uh, episode two. Yeah, episode two. Yeah. Okay, so oh. that's the Clone Wars. Oh God, yeah, like so bad. Just, what's weird is that. The, when you hear about, because before they came out, I remember uh, when the re-release came out of like four, five, and six on the VHS, the three pack. Yes. And um, I'd watch the beginning stuff, and they tell you about how well I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pull off episode one, two, and three, if yeah. with, given the technology that existed. And when it came out, it was like, that's what you waited to pull off. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't pull anything off. Yeah. All you did, like, I, I didn't even know if Jar Jar was part of it. Because one thing I should have done, maybe everybody should have, is you could have read the books because they all existed. Oh, I did read anyway, the books. And they yeah, got me fired but, up. The books got but me I fired never, up. Uh, like, I read, uh, I didn't read all of them, but I read, like, as a side, I read, like, Tales, Tales of the Bounty Hunters. And those okay, are yeah, cool. I read those too. But for them to, it didn't even, it felt so... It, I, I feel stupid saying it didn't feel like Star Wars. No, but it was real. It was real campy. Like, well, the way that dude who played Anakin in in the second uh, episode two Clone Wars, he yeah. was such a whiny little sissy that I that that individual could never become Darth Vader. Like that is no. not a Sith Lord right there. That is that is like a head case who goth not goth not even goth that's like it's just some emo kid like he was constantly every like, scene he was crying and whining i'm like wait a he minute he was <laughs> and then they found the teenager to play like yeah yeah like um ah. hayden Car- hayden christensen he's just real like there's something so disciple about him yeah. actually I- i'm glad you mentioned star wars because the one thing that i kind of want to touch on that i think is just maybe it's true minus the mandalorian and minus rogue one yeah. star wars actually is somewhat designed to be campy now hear me oh, out on that no, no hear me out on this i, agree with I you. think that um minus han solo yeah. um like it's not meant for good actors it's not meant for i mean mark uh, hamill's genius yeah but if you really look through all the acting even through all the way through not even even gosh uh po dam um put po, po, po dameron uh, all of them everybody's pretty cheesy i mean it's supposed to be there's like yeah. a uh like kind of i I'm, i don't want to whimsy there's a slight star wars well, is whimsy star wars is campy yeah and that's the beauty of it i think well so uh, let me let me put a bow on the my the thought i was going so anyway yeah, yeah. so we got disney plus and we powered through all the movies and um and like some are good, some are bad, but I think the writing in the, um, I forget the names, the last two of the um, six movies where um, Ray, we follow the line of Ray and uh, what's his oh, name? Oh, yeah, yeah. Rise um, of Skywalker, Last Jedi. Yeah, yeah. So the writing in that, and this is something we can riff on too, but let's put a pin on it. I think the um, the Disney writers, they try to be a little too cheeky with their humor. Because um, I, I, I mm-hmm. noticed with the, a lot of the Marvel movies, like especially Thor, where the last Thor, which was a, a, an excellent movie, I liked it a lot, but I feel like there were so many little one-liner cheeky things that he said that I just go, that's not demigod-like, you know? No. It's, too, it's very cheesy um, kind of uh, opener stand-up comic kind of one-liner, you know? 
Like something I would write. It feels like stuff. But anyway, so to follow my through thought, um, so we went through all of it, but I really fell back in love with Star Wars through these um, animated car- uh, Rebels. Oh, yeah. Clone Wars. They're so good. Uh, and then, and then Mandalorian. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. So um, my, me, my girls, I, I'll tell you right now, their favorite show that we're watching right now, we're on season two of Clone Wars, the, the series. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed Rebels. I thought Rebels was excellent. We watched all whatever it was, five or six seasons. And then um, Mandalorian. The one thing I wanted to ask you about, and I want to get your opinion because you're saying Mandalorian could be one of the best. And I, I agree with you because um, the writing is like true space drama, space opera writing. There is some joking about it, but it doesn't feel cheap or cheesy like in the last two Star Wars films. Um, one area that me and my wife and, and, and daughters, we were kind of bummed on the unmasking part in the last episode. Oh, I yeah. Kinda, in a way, I kind of wished because where because we you know you know a series like that is going to come back, right? It's going to come back. We had to wait, um, and again, people don't understand this, but the generation I'm from, we waited 15 years to see Darth Vader unmasked. We waited 15 years for that to happen when Return of the Jedi, and basically the second to last scene is when he's unmasked. And Mandalorian, I thought it was going to be, I don't know, I'm just, the way I'm thinking, it would be something along those lines. And then if there is an unmasking, I would I would have thought something, there would have been something about the face, but he's just like a random, what What were your thoughts on it? Tell me your thoughts. I'm, I'm talking too much. No, no, you're not. You're, you're, uh, you're, 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 you're awesome. <laughs> you're awesome at all this. <laughs> is that, um, well, as a side thing, before I even go into that is, okay. Uh, Apparently he really pushed for a moment like that because I can't help it. I've been researching. Google keeps throwing in my face that uh-huh. he's uh, Pedro Pascal does not want to be the Mandalorian. He was really already at odds with John Favreau about I want to show my face. Favreau's like that's not the character, and he's like, oh. but I want to show my face. I showed it in Game of Thrones. I'm a I. I I'm me, you know, the actor ego, the whole. Oh no! Yeah, so he wanted that. He was pushing for it so much that in the second half of the second season, and what will go on to the third season, he's not even going to be in the costume anymore. He's going to be voicing it from a booth. They're going to have a body double play him because he was like, "No, I want to show my face," and Favreau's like, "You're out." Like, uh... we're gonna. So it was something he pushed for. Okay. Now, as far as um. I was okay with the unmasking. And the only reason why is because of the environment that it happened in. Okay. I loved IG-11 so much that it gave IG-11 this chance to, uh, my wife and I, we like cried when IG-11, spoiler alert, when IG-11 like gave up his life. Like we fell for that droid. Yeah. Yeah. And he, uh, when it was, but you're not a human and you've seen it coming a mile away that he was going to eventually get to show his face. Yeah. Um, I, for a dramatic effect, they should, they just should have done the back of his head. They should have done something to not fully show his face because his face does not look tough. I mean, like this is being brutally honest about it. Like I'm like, dude, you, you look like a dude that like 
you look like you work you make my tacos and burritos at the restaurant. Oh. Like you don't look at all hard. Straight up, I could, I think I made the sad trombone no, noise when it's, I was like, wah, wah. <laughs> and my wife was like, what? So yeah, we were, we were, bum- I mean, I don't think my kids cared one way or the other, but like, to me, I knew that that, that was, I don't know what the metaphor is, but the unmasking of a faceless assassin is a metaphor for something. It means something, right? Um, and I just, again, uh, I'm all, I'm all in, I'm going to watch every series to the end. I think, yeah, me too. Like it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I think that they really should have, uh, they, I, it might've been one of the few things that really cost them a lot of, it boiled it down. They could have kept it in this, like, Ooh, it just feels suspenseful. Yes, And it was one bit of suspense that they didn't need to extinguish. They no. could have kept that going and ne- done a never. They should have just, and I think he was trying to give in to Pedro Pascal once. Cause at that okay. point already, well, actually, no, they didn't, they didn't know how big it was going to be. So maybe he was just kind of testing the waters with it. I wonder yeah. what went through Favreau's head to say, I'll okay this one. Cause now he's fighting him on it. That's why I'm yeah. like, I, I would love to be a, a fly in the wall yeah. during that decision to show it. That's interesting. Now um, people were talking shit about baby Yoda. Give me your take on baby Yoda. I don't care. Anybody says he's the most adorable. I, I wish Thank my you. kid looked like him. Thank you. I, I don't even care. Like I think that people who could hate a baby Yoda. They How hate him hate because him? of they hate him because of the way he takes off that he became a meme things that become memes drive people crazy. Cause the world is full of so many anti people, anti that. And I've been guilty of being someone who's gone. Oh, I'm tired of seeing this. I'm tired of seeing that. Right. But him, him, like it's so damn cute and it's yeah. executed so well. You could, if it wasn't exactly the way he looked and if it was <laughs> I go, no, but just seeing him, it's such a charming. Yeah. And I love, like you talked about puppetry. Yeah. Man, it's about time. It's been decades since there's been a puppet we fell for. Yeah. And it it was done masterfully. Yeah. Funny thing, I guess Pedro Pascal is even mad that he gets that baby Yoda gets more love than he does. Cause he's like, this wow. puppet, uh, well, cause he, I guess he's really hard to work with. That's what I've heard. I've heard he's like yelled at people on like during game of Thrones. I heard he was really, which rude. guy was he on game of Thrones? Hold on. I got to Google this guy, Pedro. I, I only, I don't watch game of Thrones, but I only know him from that because every time someone comes from game of Thrones, you, you hear about it. Like, oh, oh from- I know him. He was, he was good in game of Thrones. Yeah. But you know what? He, yeah, he looks like a guy <laughs> who would take himself very seriously. Yeah. And, and that's like an actor thing. I guess it happens. But John Favreau is very, hey, like the greater good. Um, yeah. Pa- John it's the Favreau. story. It needs to serve the story. And I don't think that moment served the story. I don't think it served the series. I uh, No. They could have executed it in a much more mysterious fashion. Yeah. And left it. I was waiting for them to not show his face. And the way you described it, I'll, I'll, I'll use that as my, the wah, wah, I'll use that as, <laughs> I'll use that as my description from, from henceforth. Like, yeah. <laughs> and what'd you think of Bill Burr in it? Oh God, I love Bill. 
I practically worship Bill Burr. Like okay. he is one of my all time. Well, the funny thing that uh, we, we saw him live in San Inez and my wife wanted to stand up and say, you dropped Yiddo. We call ah. him, we call him Yiddo because um, well, they call him baby Yoda and Yiddo sounds like you're saying little yeah. and he's the product of Yaddle, a rumor to be the product of Yaddle and Yoda. So oh. we call him Yiddo. Okay. And my, my wife, when we say, Oh, it's, they got a Yiddo and everyone calls him baby Yoda, but we're like, <laughs> that's Yiddo. And, but Bill Burr, man, Bill Burr is like, I could, I could talk about Bill Burr for, I, I won't, but, but Bill Burr to me is, he's somebody where I go, I, when I listened to your podcast with Pete, yeah. uh, he mentioned that, you know, I don't watch comedy and you don't, yeah. you don't want to make, you want to make things you. Yeah. I think this sounds kind of uppity of me to say, but I think I'm too nice to pull off what Bill Burr does. Yeah. <laughs> like Bill yeah, Burr too. just has this styling of like, I'm like, he gets away with saying everything. Yeah. And I love Bill Burr so yeah, much. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, uh, so Massachusetts has produced a lot of great comics, but yes, I think Ma Massachusetts also, I don't want to use it. It manufactures. I don't want to use the word pig headed because that's not what, that's not what Bill Burr or who are some of the other ones? Conan O'Brien is from Dane, Dane Cook, Cook is from. I know um, people have mixed feelings about Dane Cook. Technically Joe Rogan is a Massachusetts guy. Technically. Yeah. Um, uh, his brewer, no brewers, New York. Um, but anyway, the point being is the new England area and also including New York, the people there, um, you know, they're, I think they're built. They're just built different than West coasters. And, they are. And you know, like guys like you, so you're born and raised central coast, right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, reluctantly. Yeah, <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. So I'm, I'm Bay area born and raised, whatever kind of bounced around different places in the Bay, but whatever, like there's a, a level of kind of, um, actually I said this in my act, like, I, and this is, I'm just talking about myself, but I don't have an edge. I'm a squishy guy. You know, like I get, I try to get along with everyone and I don't, I don't really judge. And, and so when you, with a comic, what I'm finding is the great comics, when they're, when they put a flag in their point of view, their point of view is untouchable, whether it be Chappelle, whether it be Bill Burr, whether it be um, any of the top guys. Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries. When they stake their flag, um, they that's it. This is their premise and it makes sense to them and it's funny and they bring everyone on board. Um, and so that's what Bill Burr has. And But Bill Burr, but here's the thing about Bill Burr, especially I don't listen to his podcasts um, anymore but i used to listen to it pretty regularly and yeah. he he's a hard guy and he is hard on people who come off um either unfair or there's something false about him he will grind them up but but overwhelmingly he strikes me as a very very fair individual so he, oh he is when you hear him go off on certain points you you think yeah. you hear his comedy and you go oh he's Blackwards, oh, he's kind of a dick. It's like, no, he's really level-headed. No, he but is. He will, yeah, he disgustingly level-headed. Yeah. So the the I've only seen him once, but there was a heckler. It was at San Jose Improv, and there was she wasn't heckling bad, but she was too drunk, and she came at him a few times, not in a mean way, but like just yelling at him to do certain bits, and he was kind of like, well, you understand a joke. Uh, there needs to be a surprise. 
and you know all of those bits. <laughs> so, and the people here probably, so anyway, but like she kept going and security came in and he was like, no, 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 leave her. And I, you know, he had every right to say, get her out of here. I'm sure there were other comics who would say, get her out of her, but he was like, no, 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 you stay. And I think that's the way he runs the room when he's there. I think if people start getting rowdy, he tries to, have you, so you, have you seen um, the Bill Burr versus Philadelphia video? Oh yeah, that is, he is masterful. That is, I, I'm going to say that's historic. Oh, it is historic. You're, I, I'm on board 100% with that statement that that is, that is comedy history right there. And I don't think there's any footage of any comic ever handling a stadium sized crowd, the way he handled them. And they were laughing, right? Like they were yeah, booing, the but they were laughing at first too. They're like, Oh, Hey, got mad. And then yeah. half the, half the people were like, Oh, kind of had to remind themselves, this is Bill Burr. They had yeah. to like check themselves. Well, but also con- in, to put it in context, when that happened, that wasn't Bill Burr that we know global international stand-up comic. That was, I think, 2007. That was like when ca- phone cameras first. Yeah, that was up. over so 10 years ago. I don't, I don't even know. I don't even think he had a Netflix special when that happened. I think he uh-huh. may have had... Um, uh, he may have had an album or, or or something out, but I don't think he was on Netflix. I don't think Netflix he had was... been. He had, I think it was fresh off. Of, he had already done some of the Chappelle stuff, yes. but he hadn't. He hadn't like into the atmos like how no. we speak of him as no. one of the greats. Back then, he was still like, "Hey, have you heard of Bill Burr?" Exactly. Kinda. That's exactly right. He was a g- great comic who you would you would say that you'd be like he was still kind of I guess what you call underground. Um, yeah. And, uh, well, fuck, I mean, you know what? When I saw him, I want to say I saw him in 2015 or mm-hmm. maybe 2016. Like, it was improv. I, he wouldn't play improv anymore. He's no. too big for improv. I think the last time he came into the Bay, he played um, Mountain Winery or something like that. One of these really, And I looked at his ticket. His ticket was like $140. I like, Hey, I like Bill Burr, but not that much. Yeah. We paid like, I'm not going to lie. We kind of paid a grip for it. We paid yeah. a little over a hundred. We seen him in February here in San Inez. Okay. And it was weird that he did there, but they, they draw some big names at, at San Inez. We've seen okay. Tom Segura there. Uh, nice. We seen, uh, but it was like, weird. It was the last like live comedy show we saw before all the, all of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. Who knows? So, but, so let's get into that too. So anyway, actually, do we need any closing thoughts on, um, uh, on Mandalorian other than can't wait. It's, is it October 30th? When's it coming out? October 31st? Yeah. October next- 30th. I, I'll say that okay. real quick that I think is cool too. I like that they're piecing it together once a week. I like anything that reminds you how it used to be like every Friday night There's oh, right. for everything binging that, good binging has done i think binging kind of gives you a binging stuff is like opening all your christmas presents on christmas eve and then you're like okay well now what but mandalorian gives you that like let's tune in yeah and watch the one and then you can focus on one episode because there's so many hidden things well and i i love what they've done with it uh, yeah i think uh disney plus does hbo does that too 
HBO makes you wait. And um, I'm watching a program on HBO right now called uh, Raised by Wolves. Oh, I heard about that. I like that okay. a lot. I like that a lot. Um, but anyway. Um, if I ever get the honor of doing your podcast again, we'll have to do another season two thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we will for sure. I, you're going to be my go-to, uh, I guess, superhero. And Because see, I'm not, I don't even think we have the time to touch on Marvel. Um, because I could, I see you have a Captain America shield. I could talk mm-hmm. for hours about um, the Marvel universe also, and even DC. Um, but uh, what I wanted to get into is, so you're a musician and now you're doing stand-up comedy. Do you have any thoughts on what things are going to look like? Or, okay, maybe I should rephrase this. Are we going to go back to normal? If so, when do you think that'll happen? If no, what do you think things will look like for live performance? Because let me let me add on to that question with a statement also. So um, Pete had said he's he doesn't watch people's... So, with comedy, my thing is like comedy is a, it's a live thing. And yeah. what I mean by that is when I, I I've always watched comics on um, specials, YouTube clips, whatever, HBO specials back in the day, Showtime specials, whatever. And I would laugh, but I never laughed the way I laugh in comedy clubs with even lesser comics. And so what I've realized, and it took me some time actually doing stand-up comedy where I said, oh, this is a, um, this art form is 100% dependent upon performer audience connection. I'm not even going to say interaction because the comic doesn't necessarily need to interact, but there's some, there's a, a vibration, a geometry, a chemistry, something's happening. And the same is with good music. I think good music, you can go to a band you've never heard of and they do the right things on the right night and you can walk away saying, that was the best performance I ever had. Yet you'll never hear of them, right? Uh, Or the best performance I've ever seen. So what do you think things are going to look like, let's say 12 months from now? Do you have any visions? Do you have any hopes? Do you have any thoughts? I I have, um, I'm glad you asked me this because I've actually had time to kind of process this all. Um, I kind of feel... Uh, let, let me start this with a, a quote that I developed to get me through everything. Okay. And I've tried to share this with uh, coworkers uh, and everybody I've ran. I said, um, you know, in life, they tell you to plan. Everything's you got to have a plan. You got to da, da, plan this plan that. And I go, well, considering everybody's plans got just dramatically altered. Um, why don't we treat life like football? Um, you're not going to have a plan. Let's have a bunch of playbooks. So you're going to need a playbook and you're going to have to have go-to plays. And that's all where we're, that's all we're going to have from now on. We're not going to be able to make plans. We're going to only be able to have a play like, okay, this situation is now this. We're going to have to be ready to adapt to everything. If this hasn't taught us that already. Yeah. Um, I think that things are going to go back to, something that resembles there's going to be a hybrid between the masks may always be a part of it we may never get away from the masks but it all depends it all hinges on this vaccine thing if it works or not i kind of am reluctant to buy into the idea of well after the election this is all going to go away because i keep hearing people in my hometown say that well the election's over it's going to go away. it might not because 
I hear for every case that there's getting over it, you know, like I think about uh, she's a doll, Priscilla Torres. My heart goes out to yeah. her family. I think about people who really were affected by it. Yeah. However, I've seen more and more people get over this. I think that if people can real, I think if there's studies and things that we get more educated, the scientists, all the people who are actually qualified to f- help combat this. Yeah. We're going to reach some point where it's like a flu, like it's something that you're going to be able to go back to what yeah. we call a normal. It's going to take longer than we want. Like if yeah. you're talking like six months, like no. no. But I, somebody said two years and I, I when I first heard two years, my heart dropped. Now yeah. that I've seen seven months go by, I'm like, two years is pretty realistic. <laughs> That's pretty realistic. Yeah, yeah, like, I'll take <laughs> <laughs> and as far as performance, everyone's doing things they can to get. Yeah. It, it, we're taking the morsels that we can get. Yeah. And it's going to be uh, t- time is everything. Yeah. We're going to have to give things time to let's try this for the time being. Yeah. Okay. That worked. Let's get a little bit braver. We're not going to be able to just hard 180 and go back to, yeah, we're no. having like 35 people in a single room. Like, no, it's going to be a slow slow process because it yeah. was it was such a shock to go this way yeah um as far as i do have uh i do want to say that with like what is done for comedy actually the zoom thing has been really interesting yeah it's given people a chance to reflect on what they think if there's a new element to comedy that zoom created i I know we're not in um, open mic time right now, but the way everybody gets to be carrot top and like, yeah. oh, sp- sp- speaking of pocket knives, like, <laughs> oh, speaking of, and, yeah. and everything's right within yeah. reach for you. Seeing what's going on in people's rooms is funny because yeah, we yeah. get, we're living in our, oh, the, what's going on in his room? Where the yeah. hell is this guy? So yeah. there's something funny that people don't always get to see. Yeah. And music is an interesting one because you do feed, like you said, you feed off of the energy so yeah. much and you don't feel that as a musician. Um, I, such a push the last decade to everything's going digital. And it's like, well, look what it like. Hey, now you got to really feel what it's like to live in a digital world. Yeah. Hey people, do you like it? Yeah. And so we all get to answer that question. Uh, do I like it? Or yeah. now that I have to force my answer, yeah. I think given it time, we'll be back to something. There's always going to be skeptics. There's going to be people who want to rush the time and there's going to yeah. be people who are going to go, let's never get back now. I'll never trust anything again. I'm kind of, I'm just surveying my playbook at this point nice. and I'm ready. I'm ready for anything. Yeah. I really am. And yeah. I think I it's it. been, I think it's overall, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a positive. I tend to slant towards positive. I think that's another West coast thing. Like yeah, my, my east coast buddies, my east coast buddies can always find the wrong. They can, you could bring them like a perfect, whatever. You bring a perfect meal, like the best burrito and, you know, perfect guacamole, this, that, and then it'd be like, oh, this isn't whatever. They'll find something wrong with it, but just in a kind of a funny way. But like, uh, for me, I'm always like, oh, there's good. And I think what I've found is I was very resistant to Zoom comedy. It was actually Munoz. I I did some Zoom comedy shows, but I kind of did it uh, when people asked, but I didn't, I didn't make a, 
Like when I was doing open mic going to places, it was part of my weekly schedule. Like I had to go to these, I just, I was driving around, meeting with friends. We were going places. Um, with Zoom, I wasn't really, uh, it'll, it'll come. I got in this mindset, like, uh, it'll, it'll be back soon enough. But then I realized, oh, it's not gonna be back soon enough. And then that's when Pete sent his mic and he's like, hey, you know, if, if you call yourself a comedian, you gotta jo- you gotta go back to, you gotta go back to work. He was almost <laughs> like, he didn't say that. that. He didn't say it that way, but he was kind of like, hey, you gotta go back to work. And I, I have a lot of respect for Munoz and he's always been really kind and supportive of me. So I, um, I started going back, but here's where I'm going with it. I met you, right? This is, a, this is a positive, this is good. Now I have another person I can visit when I go down to Central Coast. I'm doing um, Zoom mics on East Coast now, and I'm meeting people in New York, which, you know, you never know, right? Like if I stick with comedy and I'm ever traveling in New York, maybe I can get some open mic time over there now. Um, so I think it's good, but I, and I also here's another benefit is that it forced me, I realized pretty quickly that um, the way people are paying attention on a Zoom is different than the way they would pay attention in a room. And so I think I've had to, um, and not all scenarios, but in some of the material I was trying to do, I just had to prune it back and kind of be like, set up punch set up punch. so it made me think about jokes a little differently that i well, think it's like a hybrid off. yeah it's got this hybrid feel of like it's stand up but it's also a podcast it brings oh, all that true. together that's how that's what i feel like it is yours very much is oh and we're gonna get into that too but um yeah i think you're right i think there's a uh, uh very much long form plus you got to keep some short shots in there mm-hmm. um to keep it um punchy so to speak so yeah i think um obviously it's a sad time but i also think it's uh what's the dickens how does the tale of two cities starts it was the best of times and worst of times i see a lot of yeah i see promise in what's happening right now and then and then i i believe this is my opinion i believe that um humans society humanity whatever you want to call it we're not going to keep ourselves cooped up um, no. forever. And, and I think even masks, they're just not going to fly for maybe, maybe we wear masks for the next three years, maybe. But I think unless there's a virus or a pandemic that hits, that's like killing, like, I think this might be around 1% or something if people get it. Or like, you'd have to be really high for us to just make it part of our life to wear masks. I don't know. I'm saying that now. I don't think Matt, because just walking around in the grocery, I kind of feel like I'm a guy who's, if I make eye contact, I'll smile or say hi or whatever. And like right now, I just, I, what do I, how do I behave? How do I, it feels like, it just feels well, weird. Smile, he, our smile's blocked. It smells <laughs> blocked. So I do. And I assume people are kind of getting it in the other parts of your face. But, um, but where I'm going with this is I think um, it'll probably go back to hybrid. I don't think Zoom comedy is going anywhere. I think Zoom comedy will be, it's indefinite. Um, yeah, this I is a new. This is a new avenue. It's a new avenue, and we got to get used to it. But I also think that when the time comes, and when we're all feeling good, and the virus is somewhat either controlled or understood better, I think we're going to be back in dive bars, <laughs> doing open mics, <laughs> uh, promoting showcases, whatever it was we were doing before. I hope, anyway. Um, 
But I, I just think I, I just think there's a psychology about us that even even something as big as this pandemic, it can't change the core psychology of humans, which is um, we all want to be entertained. You know, Mike Tyson, he had this interesting saying. Um, so I believe Mike Tyson for the longest time was treated at, I mean, literally he was a criminal. He did, he did jail time. And I think a lot of people wanted to paint a character of him, of, of this like psychopathic killer, but he's actually, I, I categorize him as a genius. I put, he is. I put him up there with, um, uh, oh shoot. I just forgot the name of the, the eighties comic. Um, um, Jim Carrey. No, Jim Carrey played him on Man. Man oh, Andy Kaufman. Kaufman. I put him as a Kaufman-esque performer. Yeah. But a, a severe, like also a really powerful athlete, but he's a performer through and through. And he had this statement. He said, people, um, if, oh shoot, I'm going to butcher this. He said, um, people will spend, will starve and spend their last dollar on entertainment. Meaning it's in our personality to want to see a good show more than to feed our stomach. And yeah. I think he's right. I think he's right. If people are putting on good shows and everyone's going to want to get back out there. Because in, entertainment is, uh, <laughs> you, you, you'll laugh at it, but my, <laughs> it's weird being part of my, my business card. I don't know if you can see it is entertainer extraordinaire nice i've had this for like five years i've always uh imagined myself as this kind of hybrid of uh like when jimmy fallon got his own show i was like yeah like that yeah. like he gets to do whatever he wants and yeah. uh i've always i'll i'll die an entertainer i'll yeah. always I, i'll always want to be an entertainer uh it's real interesting how i how I specifically got started doing all of this. That's what, I don't know if, did Pete ever tell you how I even, it's because of Pete. Oh, is really? That, um, yeah, I'll, uh, what it was, was uh, he's already touched on the fact that we're 311 fans and all that. Yeah. And uh, so we had, I had some stuff I had to drop off to him. He came down here on June 27th. And okay. he did a show in the backyard. This guy Fernando hosted. Oh, that's brought, the one on your uh, YouTube channel. Yeah, the very I first that. show. I watched your set for that. Yeah, yeah. And that was my very, very nice. first time doing comedy. And I was, I had wanted to do it forever. Okay. I, I did try to do some of the roast of Michael Ramos when he when okay. he left, uh, but I wasn't very good at it. And then okay. I was like, all right, but I wasn't really doing a bit. I was just kind of talking to Michael. But this one. I did that and then everything shut down. And then when Pete said, Hey, you want to try these zooms? I thought this, what a weird time. And yes, I want to do part of, I want to be part of it. Cause I like yeah. to think of it as a uh, training for when things really do yeah. open back up. Um, I feel like I almost got to cheat by, I didn't have to go to, I didn't have to go to New York to meet Joe Gorman. I didn't have yeah. to go to, yes. uh, all these good people. Like I got on bone, bone Traeger's show last Thursday. Uh, he invited me tonight, but uh, we we're doing this. Yeah. Um, and he, he's through him at people, uh, St. Louis, just all the ground I've covered. Yes. Digitally. Yeah. 
And so now I'm like, ooh, this is like I talked to Corday. It turns out he knows people down here. And yeah, I, uh, my friend that sits in Mumsley that joins our groups, he's like, dude, one year of Zoom comedy is probably like doing three years of regular comedy because it's way harder. And I'm like, uh, I don't want to look at it like that because yeah, I have such I a know. great res- I have such yeah. a great respect for what you guys do. And yeah. I, when Pete said it's a life sentence, when I heard Jeff's stories on yes. his podcast, when I hear your guys' stories, I'm yeah. like, oh my God, like, do I have it in me to do all that? And I'm like, yeah, why not? I mean, nothing else has worked. So I always have fun doing all of this. Oh, you got it in you. You got it in you. I, the only thing you need to do, and I, I can't speak as an authority. I can only speak as a fan. Um, but definitely the way you are handling yourself on these calls and the way you're thinking about things, like I want more Ezra, I want more Ezra. And so the only thing is just doing. Yeah. (laughs) So if if you choose, if you choose to keep doing it, you definitely, you have a place for sure. That means a lot to me. It really does. It really does. (laughs) Cause I want, I want this. Yeah. (laughs) So, so what I wanted to follow up with is, you hit on the fact that the, um, and then we'll probably wrap it up. We're, I've, I, I don't know how you are on time, but I didn't, we've gone. Oh, whatever almost, you want, whatever you want. I'm here. I'm yours. I'm yours. Oh, nice. You heard it, ladies and gentlemen, Ezra Paco. Woo! Um, so do you, your YouTube, you have um, skits. Out there. Have you ever thought about doing your own kind of podcast slash commentary on YouTube where once a week you check in and like riff on comic books, riff on maybe. I have. And this is, it's funny. You said that I literally have had so many people. You're the first to get me right onto a podcast. And I have people I've been trying to do this with for years. And the thing that stopped it was um, time and and discipline of a, I had a buddy last night. I had a 20 minute argument with a good friend of mine, the one that watches the comedy here. And he said, well, why wouldn't it be fun just to do it once? And I said, because I want to be able to keep doing it. If we do one and I like it, can you promise me we'll do it next week and the week after? Cause I'm trying to work on consistency. I want to know that if I do a week, I can do another and I can do another, um, and the people around me, our schedules, I can't seem to get it right. No, 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 no. If, if, no, no, no. I'm talking about Ezra Paco. If it was just me. Yeah. I, I have actually. Um, and you could have guests on. I, you could do like I do, just bring people on and shoot the shit. But um, yeah, I'm actually probably going to even start doing that because um, I have I do have so much to say. Yeah. Um, and and. At this point, I think, you know, even just talking with you about it and seeing that it's worked for you a little, I would love to do that. And I think, yeah. you know, I, I'm so glad you asked because, like, I, I'm freezing because I just had the epiphany right now, even right now, talking to you, Matthew McCarron, yeah. I just had the epiphany that I'll just do it. And then yeah. everybody <laughs> who says, well, let's do it. Well, then get on mine. Because if I'm already doing it, then people will just I'll get on your, board with it. 100%. Um, I'll, so I'll that's the way show. I can do this then. Yeah. So just a little technical tip. So do, do you, um, when you join these Zooms, do you, are you joining with your account? I, um, I have a Zoom, but, or, or no, no, I don't. I don't have, I have like a profile, okay. but I don't have like, you know, where you, like you host well, and all that. I don't have none of that. Don't even worry about that because, so what you could do, 
obviously you could just record yourself with whatever camera you have on your um, computer. I'm sure you are you talking to me on a computer right now? Yeah, I'm talking to you on a laptop. Oh yeah. So all right, perfect. That you could literally I, I just, just bought this at Costco a couple days ago. Yeah. Oh, you're already the, there. Yeah, I have that. I use this uh focus right. I, I use a sound box. I like equipment wise, yeah. I'm equipped. I got mics, I got like then all you need to do is bring your your talking. And then if you ever want to have someone join via Zoom, you don't I don't pay anything. So if only one person is your guest, we could go for hours and hours and they don't cut you off. If we bring a second person in, then you gotta like what Pete does, he has to pay, but I don't pay. I just um Okay. Watch, probably I, Zoom will cut me off right when they hear that. They go, what? I, He's not about to pay. They're done. <laughs> Boof. And they'll end this meeting. As a side note, I appreciate you paying him. I've only paid him twice. Oh, um, yeah. And he's he mentions that you've, uh, and that means a lot to, I understand that. Because one thing, my, fa- my family is all, they've all been really supportive. And yeah. my son lives in Oregon. And one of the few things that, like he, he moved a couple, he moved the weekend of my comedy. So uh, I had a real bittersweet weekend of, yeah, I, I did comedy. I did really well. And then I came home and he moved and I was like, the heart is the most interesting week of my life. I was like, he left, I did comedy. He left so I could do comedy. And I put it together like that. Yeah. So it means a lot to me that, uh, everyone is like, well, Hey, this is funny, but are you getting paid? And I'm like, don't ask me that shit yet. People. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, no, no I'm no. just doing it. I'm like, don't ask me. Are you getting paid yet? Like, yeah. Ask me, am I getting paid to do this? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. guitar for fun. So, you know what? I Here's an analogy. Maybe you'll find it helpful or not. But um, So, you've been playing guitar since you were seven. Yeah. And you've been probably jamming with people since what? You were maybe 13 or 14 or something like yep. that? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, look at it this way. Um, when it comes to comedy, this is how I'm framing it in, for me. Um, comedy is one of those things, these stand-up comedy, where a guitar, you can buy the instrument and you can sit in your bedroom and after two to three years, without anyone telling you, you can just feel that I have some kind of competency with this instrument. And so if I go out and I play in front of people, I may not do as good as I want, and I may not impress people, but they'll go, oh, he has some competency in that instrument. But stand-up comedy is the only art form where the instrument is the interaction between you and people And so you're learning to play a guitar in front of people. So you're failing in front of people, right? Like I'm trying to strum a power chord. I just pick up a guitar and I get in front of five different people and I'm trying to strum it. That's what you're doing with stand-up comedy. So um, yeah, getting paid early on, I I don't even, I I tell myself like 10 years from now, I'll worry about if I'm getting paid or not (laughs) because I'm learning, Mm -hmm. right? I'm learning how the whole humor in front of people works. Yeah, I kind of look at it as a because I, I've been plugging away at the YouTube thing for a while. I like to think of a more macro yeah. that, and that's why I push myself as my name. I love that my parents gave me a, a name that's kind of wreck. I mean, my it's my real name. Yeah, I'm like that's a brand. I yeah. think of it as like, I am a brand and happen. Yeah. What's your brand do? Oh, it's a brand that does comedy. It's yeah. a brand that does music. It's a brand yeah. that does videos. It's yeah. a, it's like a, I, I like to think of it as all things that I'm adding into. I'm trying to add value to me mm-hmm. overall, just value as a, from a business standpoint, uh, yeah. try to build my value. And so I don't think of it as just, are you getting paid to do comedy? Like, I don't, I don't like when, I don't like being asked to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm no, more like, nice. hey, uh, 
do people recognize Ezra Paco as a brand? That's yeah. my, and I know there's this like, oh, kind of you sell out or you want, it's about the money. Like, it's not that. It's that all my life I've seen so, I've everybody I've ever known and loved and cared about struggled and worked jobs they hated. And I'm really inspired by, what if I'm the one who is supposed to do something I liked and got yeah. paid for it? Cause no one else I know gets paid doing what they like. They're all miserable as shit. And I don't want to be that. Yeah. Yeah. You need these outlets for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right on dude. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. So, um, no, three more hours, three more hours. I'm just kidding. Well, no. Well, um, <laughs> when I start doing, I don't know how we're going to work this. I'll probably be in the central coast and I'll bring my um, little zoom recorder and we could podcast face to face. So what I tell people is everyone who's joining the zoom call, I want to have them back and do a physical podcast. Um, because do you know when you're coming to the Central Coast? Because I overheard you saying you had family here. I do. Like in Atascadero. I do. Um, I I don't know. It might be soon. Um, I haven't really made it. I, pretty much every plan that me and the wife have tried to make for travel this year has fallen through. We had plans, obviously, um, before um, the pandemic hit. And mm-hmm that fell through. So we canceled all that. Luckily we were able to get our money back. And then we had, um, we had one, uh, actually two camping trips we were able to make, but then we had another camping trip that we were going to do, um, last weekend. And then the fires we had to cancel because of the fires. Do you like so, Morro Bay? <laughs> dude, I love Morro Bay. Cause that's where my wife and I, we started doing a, our anniversary was on September 1st and oh, I, I hated the turn. Uh, Jackie Pearl inspired me. She doesn't know it, but she's like, Oh, we lived in Hawaii. We took a staycation. And when I heard her say staycation, I told my wife, I said, let's just go on kayak and let's just see what's there. Yeah. And I was like, we'll get a room. You get a room real cheap. And we yeah. went and ever since then we like frequent Morro Bay. And I was yeah. like, this is, how come we never came here before? Like we always went to Pismo and Morro Bay is really one of the nicest beaches here. I, I love it. I, my aunt used to live from the downtown area. She probably, she was walking distance when we would visit her, we would go walk to the downtown area. And then um, as a kid, I have a lot of memories of playing on the beach by the rock, that big rock. Um, oh, yeah. I forget the name Mor- of that rock. Mor- um, Mor- there's Morro Rock and then... Morro Rock, then yeah. There's... So so the, the the harbor is on one side, it's the southern side, and then yeah. the northern side is that beach um, because my grandparents lived... Ah, my grandparents and aunt lived there when I was um, little. How cool. Yeah. So I have I'm a lot sure of something will work out like uh, Pete, Pete, uh, actually, he, want, he wants to come down here. Well, we're going to go to 311 on November 14th. So on the 13th, he wants he's staying at Madonna Inn. he wants to meet down here and do a show the day before. And so I'll, I'll run that date by you if, if okay. you will see what he says, if he's we're just kind of piecing together the show. We got to find a venue still. And so November oh, 13th. Think, that's interesting. Do you think you'll be able to get a live show set up there? I just talked to one of the venue uh, people here and the the Swiss Chalet, which is one of Pete's places he did do that I DJed for him. They finally started doing indoor dining. I'll probably go next week and ask the managers how they feel. I kind of have to feel it out per person. At the very least, there is one outdoor place here that was uh, doing something in San Luis. You know, like I said, it's, Everything's so day by day, week by week. Yep. And 
But I think by then there'll be something. Worst case, it's a backyard that. Yeah. But he had a like thirty people in the yard, but uh, maybe a drive-in. Yeah. So we're work we're working on it like as okay. we speak. Nice. Right on. Well, Ezra, this has been a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate you. Thank you for joining the podcast. And um, yeah, there'll you, be many were- more of these, man. Many more. We got a lot of ground to cover. I think we didn't touch on the Marvel universe. Uh, we barely scraped uh, music history uh, and comedy. So yeah, we got a lot more we can be doing. Are you going to play us out? I'll, I'll, I'll play us out. And I will okay. probably, I, you know, thank you for Mr. McCarran. Like you're, you're, you're a G man. I, I dig yeah. you. You're super cool. Like I, this, I looked forward to this from the day you asked me, I, nice. I bragged about it. Like, Oh, Matthew McCarran's going to have me. I told people, I'm like, dude, you can check out his stuff. And so once it's up, I'll, I'll be sharing it like crazy. And Hell yes. uh, I, I'd like to see your podcast game some, gain some momentum too. Cause you're, the way you speak, you have such a, I'm like, man, I just like to listen. Like this is your, your gold. Everything you're doing is solid gold. I'm loving it. And it's, intri- it's intriguing. And I, oh, good. I'm honored. To, I'm honored to be part of it with you. It meant a lot to me that you hit me up. So from the bottom of my heart, I, I appreciate you and you're, you're a good man. You're solid. And I can't wait to hear this. And, uh, Oh, what? Uh, yeah. Let me know what it's up to. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, um, so, well, you know what? Play us out and then I'll stop the recording and then we'll do some uh wrap up. We'll do some chit chat that's not for you, listener. That's right. We're going to talk we're going to say bad things about all of you. So, yes, we are. we're going to talk shit. <laughs> I'm going to play us out. So, thank you again, Mr. McCarran. Here we go. Right on.